Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have your Bible, take them and turn with me to the book of Jonah this morning. The book of Jonah. Uh, We actually started a a series on our Sunday night discipleship classes in the book of Jonah last week. And I had completely forgotten that we were going to be in Jonah. A couple weeks ago, I was reading one of my books on grace uh, for this series that I'm doing, uh, Limitless Understanding the Power of Grace. And I, I had read about Jonah and was really thinking, man, I really need to preach a message on it. And then sat in the classes last Sunday night, and they're talking about it, Jonah. So I think it's God just kind of directing it all together this morning. So we're going to cover the whole book, basically, this morning. So uh, tie in. Uh, we'll be here for the next four or five hours, and we'll, uh, we'll finish up in the next 30 minutes, probably. So anyway, Jonah is where we're going to be at this morning. We're not going to read anything at this time, uh, but we're going to be walking through this book this morning. Let me ask you a question. What if I were to tell you that now this is true. Now we are planning on taking a mission trip with our church uh, next year, next spring. But what if I were to tell you that we're taking a mission trip and it's all expense paid? All you have to do is show up with your bags packed and your passport. Who would be in? Anybody? We have a few people that would be in. M- many people would be in. Uh, but I guess if there's one stipulation, I guess it's this. You know, it's going to be a three-week journey, three-week trip, and we're going to be going to some countries like Syria and Yemen, uh, Iran, places like that. Now, who's in? We got three or four people, five. All right. Some of the kids are like, yeah, I'll just go, whatever. I don't really know what those countries are. A lot more hands are in your laps than were raised at that because why? It's very dangerous, right? And you think about those countries, a lot of Muslims that are there. Uh, I asked that question because when we studied the book of Jonah, uh, in some ways, that's the area in which he's going. He's going to a very dangerous area, or God is calling him to a very dangerous area. And understanding a little bit about Nineveh and the Assyrian nation, we're not going to go into depth in the historical context this morning, excuse me, this morning, but understanding that it's, they were a very wicked group of people. I mean, very wicked. Uh, let me just share a couple things that, that I learned from them in my studies uh, concerning them. Uh, let me find it. Where's it at? Uh, it's not there. It's not there. It's not there. Uh, it's not there. It's not there. Oh, um, one thing they loved to do was, um, which this is just insane. Uh, any of any of the enemies that they had, they loved to bury them in the sand up to their neck and then take their tongue, tie it to a pole. So they would literally cook alive in the desert. So that's just one example. They like to impale people and all kinds of wicked things. But I heard about that this week. I read about it. I was like, that is a horrible way to die. I mean, I I don't want to die necessarily anyway, but that would be a horrible way to die. Literally, you're buried in the sand and who knows what's crawling all over you. But then your tongue is tied to a stake to where you can't even swallow. And then you're literally being cooked alive. And understanding about Assyria too, Assyria was was an enemy of the nation of Israel. Now, Jonah was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew, you know, one of God's chosen people. So the Assyrians and the Israelites were at odds with one another at many times throughout history. Now, during the time when this book was written, it was kind of a peaceful time, at least for, the, for about 40 years, there was kind of a, 
a lull in war and fighting. But we're not first introduced to Jonah in the book of Jonah. We're actually first introduced to Jonah in the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 14, where he is preaching to Jeroboam II, one of the kings there, and he's, he's preaching a message to really just shore up their borders because the enemy was trying to attack. And so we're introduced to him there. But then when we're introduced again to Jonah in the book of Jonah, it's a different situation. And I'm saying this for, for reason. You see, Jonah was used to preaching to his own people, to the Israelites. But now God has called him to go away from his people to a very wicked, vile group of individuals that were enemies of his people. And the story of Jonah is more than just a fish story. It's more than just a story of a man that was thrown into the deep and a, a great fish or a, a whale caught him alive. Now there's some speculation concerning, well, is this true or not? Is this, I mean, there's no way a man could survive in the belly of a whale for three days. And it is hard to believe, but Jesus referenced it himself in Matthew chapter 12, I believe, where he said, even as Jonah was inside the belly of the whale for three days, even so must I be in the grave for three days and then risen. So if Jesus talks about the validity of the story of Jonah, then that's good enough for me. Hopefully it's good enough for you as well. And again, it's easy to be like, I don't know about this story. It's just too great of a story. That's just about the miraculous nature of God. But really, when you, when you think about this story, as we're looking at our series on grace, and I've never really looked at the book of Jonah this way until the past several weeks, it's a book of God's grace. And what we see, as the title even suggests, there is a conflict of grace. There is a conflict of limitless grace that Jonah is struggling with as we walk through this chapter and these chapters this morning. And there's a very important principle that we're going to unpack this morning, and, and it's really this. We love to see people get what they deserve, right? If someone has done you wrong... They deserve wrong done to them, right? I mean, honestly, if, if we're honest today, if someone has done us wrong, what we want to see is justice, right? We want to see them get their due deserve, what they deserve. You know, I was thinking about that. Just a simple illustration. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic or someone speeds by you. What do you want? You want to see the police go after that person and give them a ticket. They deserve that ticket. But what happens when we're speeding and the, we see those sirens or hear those sirens and the, the lights and stuff like that? We're like, oh, no. And we're hoping, we're praying that the officer extends mercy and grace upon us. And it's okay to receive it. But the point I'm trying to make is we're not often willing to extend it. We want to see people get what they deserve. You know, you know someone trips up and falls like, you got what he had coming. Some people might have helped him trip and fall and everything's like that. But that's what we're going to try to unpack this morning. Again, this, this idea of seeing people get what they deserve. And, and for many of us, it makes the idea of God's grace a very difficult concept to accept. Even when we claim to love it so much. You see, Jonah was a man who understood what it meant to need grace. But at the same time, he found himself unwilling to extend grace to certain kinds of people. Mostly people he thought that didn't deserve it. So think about that this morning as we go through the message. How often do we do the same thing? 
there are certain groups of people in our lives that they don't deserve it. They deserve death. They deserve punishment. They deserve who knows what. So really, Jonah's not the only one struggling with this conflict of grace. I think if we're honest this morning, many of us are struggling with it as well. Because we don't want to see people get something they don't deserve. This free passage almost, if you will. We want people to get justice. And in verse number one of chapter one, we see the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and it says, verse number two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. So he wants him to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites, to this capital of Assyria, about their wickedness, and he wants them to be restored. God wants them to be restored. And Jonah does what many of us probably would do in a situation like this. But Jonah rose up to go to Nineveh, right? No, Jonah rose up to flee, to run away unto Tarshish, which was 2,300 miles in the opposite direction of where he was supposed to be going. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It's very interesting. And it's, it's interesting, too, when you study this, because I was even thinking about it this week and even some of the things that I was reading. You know, Jonah didn't go somewhere familiar, and he didn't choose an overland route. Now, in this time, in this day and age, it was very dangerous to, to trek across the open seas in the ships that they had. So you think about the safest journey for, for Jonah would have been on land, Right? But Jonah decides to go to the most unsafe journey through the ship. And these were some of the most dangerous and uh, impetuous waters that they faced in the ancient world. And that's, that's what people do, though, when they run from God. They run to the strangest, most dangerous places, and they make the most nonsensical decisions. And there's an important principle that we see here as well as we continue to unfold and and look at this message this morning. We can run from God, but we can't outrun God. God knows where we are, and this is a lesson that Jonah is going to learn firsthand this morning. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll continue the message. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. And God, I pray that you be with us for the next few minutes as we unfold this great book and really see some important principles on grace. And Lord, this is a conflict that I've had in my own life many times. I want to receive grace because I need grace and, and, I, and I want it to come to me even though I don't deserve it. But we often have a hard time extending grace to those that don't deserve it. And what we do is we show, we show our own self-righteousness, that we think we're better than someone else. And really, that's what Jonah is doing here. He's He's basically saying, I am better than the Assyrians because I am, I am an Israelite. I am a Hebrew. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that grace is not just something for us. It's something that you give willingly and freely to everyone. And if you're a God of grace and we're striving to be like you, then help us to be gracious. Even in those situations, even with dealing with people, that don't deserve your grace. Lord, we love you in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
here's what we see about grace. Grace is predictably unpredictable. It's predictably unpredictable. And what I mean by that is you can't predict grace. There are certain things that you can predict, certain things you cannot predict, and grace is one of those things. And quickly, as I walk through this, this book, the first three chapters primarily, very, very quickly, we see a couple principles about grace. After Jonah runs from God and flees, he gets in that ship, as, we, as many of us know the story. The, the storm comes, and Jonah knows God is dealing with him. And Jonah basically tells the people that are in the ship with him, throw him overboard. <laughs> so he's thrown overboard into the sea, and as soon as he's thrown overboard, uh, the, a giant fish comes up out of the water, a giant whale comes up and catches Jonah, and all of a sudden, the sea goes calm. It's the last we hear of those individuals, and that's not the message today, but the first principle I want to look at this morning is something that we uh, looked at last Sunday night, and it's this, Jonah is disciplined by grace. Jonah is disciplined by grace. You see, we might not see it this way, but that's exactly what it was meant for. God wasn't trying to just punish Joseph, or jo not Joseph, but Jonah. Now, stay with me here. It's a very important principle. You see, the purpose of God's discipline was not to pay him back, but to bring him back. Because Jonah had run away from God. So it wasn't just, I'm going to pay you back, Jonah. If God wanted to do that, don't you think he could have had the fish swallow him whole and that's the end of it? Yes. But God was disciplining Jonah with grace. He was extending something. He wanted to bring Jonah back to himself. Now, we have to understand this about trials and tribulation and afflictions. It's not always because we're sinning and running from God and doing horrible and wicked things. Sometimes that is the case. Sometimes that is very much the case that, that God is trying to get our attention and, and God might have to discipline us with his grace. And I'm thankful looking at my life for the times that God has disciplined me, not with his justice, but with his grace. And I didn't see it that way at the time, but I look back and all God was doing was preparing me for something else. And I say that because when you even look in the words, it says God prepared, the Lord had prepared in verse 17 of chapter one, a great fish. God was preparing this all along to bring Jonah back to himself. And we discover that the Lord had prepared or appointed many things for Jonah. He had prepared the storm. He had prepared the fish. Uh, just as he had prepared Jonah to preach to Nineveh. God would later even prepare Jonah some shade after he had preached to the Ninevites. So first, quickly, what we see in chapter 1 and even in chapter 2 is that Jonah is disciplined by grace. All of chapter 2, Jonah spins in the belly of this whale, in the belly of this fish, and he's praying to God, he's beseeching God, he's begging God that God would, would restore him, that God would give him a second chance. And aren't you thankful for the second chance that God gives us? The many second chances that God gives his children. But the second principle that we see quickly this morning, because I'm walking through this quickly because I want to get to the application. The second principle we see is this. Jonah not only is disciplined by grace, but in chapter 2 we see uh, finally verse number 10. It's kind of a disturbing picture. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. Just spit him up. In chapter 3, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I did to them. This is the same message God had already given Jonah. Now he gives it to him a second time. This time Jonah actually hears, listens, and goes. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. In some ways, he 
learned his lesson. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great journey or city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey. So I'm sure he was running. You know, he was, he was booking it. He was trying to get there as fast as he could. And he cried and said, yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he starts preaching the message of God. And here's the point we see about grace. Jonah is delivered by grace. When God's discipline was complete, he then delivered Jonah by his grace. God's grace had captured Jonah and given him an undeserved gift. This is very important to understand. The undeserved gift that God had given Jonah was a second chance to do what he called him to do, to go to Nineveh. And during this time, Jonah preaches to the Ninevites, as it says in verse number four, verse number five. So the people of Nineveh, this is very important. What are the next two words? Believe God. They believe God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them, from the king's palace all the way down. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And it caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and the nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mighty unto God. This is the true and living God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Hey, we have to repent of our wickedness, of our sins. Who can tell if God, verse 9, will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger? We're hoping that God does not destroy us as Jonah delivered the message. Well, whether we perish not, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them and did it not. Now, this took Jonah by surprise. You see, he was a Jew carrying a message about God, the God of Israel, to Nineveh, who didn't worship the true God. And history tells us that Nineveh, though, was primed for repentance. Here's a couple things that happened. First of all, not long before this, they had just witnessed a total eclipse of the sun. Now, this was a very horrifying thing in ancient world. Because they, they believed it to be an omen, a horrifying omen. So they didn't know what was happening. Another thing that happened was this. There was a coalition, a, a group of plundering tribes that had gathered momentum. And they were working their way south towards Nineveh. And they were camped just 100 miles away from Nineveh. So Nineveh knew that they have a bunch of tribes, plundering tribes, that were about to come in and just rip them apart and tear them to shreds. Also, the city had recently suffered two major plagues over the past five years that had killed a large amount of people and continued to haunt them in their memories. So three specific things had happened. They saw a total eclipse of the sun, and that's kind of a cool thing if we see that today. But for them in ancient world, they didn't know what it was about. And they, they realized, man, it's, it's the wrath of God. They also had a, a tribe or tribes of individuals that were coming after them to destroy them. They're scared. And now they've also suffered two major plagues in the past five years where thousands upon thousands of people have lost their lives. So they're primed and ready for repentance. So we see, first of all, is that Jonah was disciplined by grace. Secondly, he was delivered by grace. But then this moves us into the really the main point of the message this morning. Chapter 4, look at verse number 1. But it made Jonah happy that they got saved. Is that what it says? 
No, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very, what's that last word? Angry. You ever been angry? Yeah, many of us. Hopefully you're not angry right now. But many of us have been angry. We get angry for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes we get angry with our spouse when they don't act the way that we think they should act. We get angry with our kids when they don't listen to us. We get angry uh, with any situation. Jonah is angry. Why is he angry? Because God is sparing Nineveh and not destroying Nineveh. And Jonah comes to this difficult dilemma. He's caught in this conflict of grace. He's angered. He's disturbed. He's agitated. He's frustrated. He's annoyed. You know, anger is what grips you in relationships when the other person doesn't listen to you and respect you. Anger is what overcomes you when you receive that poor evaluation at work that you may have earned but don't feel like you deserve. I like this definition of anger. It's the emotion that you experience when your expectation of justice is not met. Let me say that again. Anger is an emotion you experience when your expectation of justice is not met. When you believe someone deserves justice and they don't get justice, you're angry. You're frustrated. You're agitated. God, why aren't you giving this person what they deserve? Anger is what fuels everything that is ugly. (laughs) From cursing to envy to vengeance to isolation. Anger is what leads to domestic violence. It's what causes people to leave a church the wrong way. It's happened a few times. Anger is a powerful thing, to say the least. At some point, it's probably grabbed you by its clutches. Now, righteous anger can be a good thing went under control. And what I mean about righteous anger, there's a story in the New Testament of Jesus overthrowing the money changers in the temple. He was mad. He was upset because they turned the temple into a really a profit place. So Jesus was, had a righteous anger and he wasn't just, you know, throwing things at people like we do at times in our anger, or hitting the wall and leaving a handprint like maybe some of you have done or I've done before. I've left a handprint in my parents' house. I think they fixed it. Hopefully, I don't know. Because I got so mad, I got so upset, but Jesus wasn't doing that. He was mad just because, or upset, because that's not how God's house, the temple, should have been. So he was overthrowing it. So there's a difference between righteous and unrighteous anger. But the the, the real reality is that most of us don't respond in righteous anger. If something is done, let's let's even think about this. In the news, you hear of a story that you don't like. Okay, it's, it's okay to get upset. It's not okay to overreact. And start picketing and, and start you know, throwing things at people. That, that's, that's just wrong. But on a similar scale, we do that. Something makes us mad. Something upsets us. And instead of acting in a righteous anger and just being upset about it, giving it over to God, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make this person pay for what they did. And this is exactly what Jonah is dealing with. And here's a couple of reasons Jonah was angry. You might have this in your notes this morning. You see, Jonah expected consistency from God. Here's what I mean. In Jonah's mind, God should have judged his enemy with wrath and not with mercy and with grace. Jonah is angry because God has given mercy and grace to repentant sinners in Nineveh instead of giving them what they truly deserved. Again, this was the enemy of Israel. 
Some of those people that were buried alive in the sand and different things like that that were done to them were Israelites. So in Jonah's mind, they don't deserve anything good. They only deserve wrath, judgment, God's you know, condemnation upon them. So Jonah is expecting consistency from God in his mind. What, basically what I'm saying is he wants them to get what they deserve, but he forgot that he didn't get what he deserved. Here's another problem that Jonah had. Jonah had problems with the character of God. You see, the irony here is pretty amazing. God had saved Israel many years prior from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. And you know how they returned the favor by thanking God? They constructed a molten calf and worshipped a molten calf instead of worshipping the true and living God. God had just delivered Israel and instead of truly being thankful for God and all that he did, not long after that, they're falling down and worshiping some gold image. And in verse number two, look at this verse. And he prayed, this is Jonah praying, the second time Jonah's praying to God. Chapter two is another prayer, but he prays to God and the Lord and, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? So what he's doing now is he's actually referencing different passages in the Old Testament. When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God. He's talking about God's grace. You know, I know that you're gracious. I know that you're merciful. I know you're slow to anger and of great kindness and and repentest thee of, of evil. I know about the unrelenting love that you have. And all Jonah is doing here is he's referencing some of the great self-identification statements that God made of himself in the Old Testament. I think I got them in your notes. You can look at later time. But it's in Exodus and Numbers and Psalms and Joel where God is talking about himself, that he is gracious, he is kind, he is merciful, he is loving, he is slow to anger. Jonah is alive himself because God extended grace and mercy upon him, right? But Jonah, get this, please, could not get beyond his prejudices. How often in our lives have we received God's grace? Have we received God's mercy? Have we been given a gift that we don't deserve, yet we can't get beyond our own prejudices? You know, I asked that question at the very beginning of the message. And, and again, you know, some of the Islamic groups have done horrible things to our country. And honestly, what they deserve is far worse than what they've done to us. But isn't the goal to try to get people saved, win them to Christ? Aren't you thankful that someone didn't give up on you? But, I, but I'm, I'm better than that. Are you? Am I? Do I really deserve the gift of grace? Because grace is unmerited. What do I mean? It's undeserved. And the point is, none of us in here deserve God's gift of grace, do we? No, we don't. None of us do. But what what we do is we get a self-righteous attitude that we think we are better than someone else. And it's it's a problem in our churches in America. Because, and and I am thankful, trust me, I am thankful to live in Texas. I am thankful to be an American. 
I am thankful for what God has bestowed upon us. But we get an attitude that we are better than everyone else. Jonah had the same attitude. Back in chapter 1, verse number 9, he said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. He's basically telling how great he is. He preaches this message of repentance. They repent. And now he's going to watch their demise. I want to watch and sit back and see them get what they deserve. And it's kind of what he's doing. He's, all right, all right, God, go ahead. Give it to him now. But honestly, how often have we done that? Okay, you know, it's, it's great that they, you know, got grace and stuff like that. But God, give them what they deserve. And really what, what he's doing here, you know, God, I understand that you're merciful. You know, it's about not getting what you deserve. But grace, getting what you don't deserve? Seriously, God, are you kidding? You know, Jonah is fine with grace as long as it's directed at him and his people. But the Ninevites? He doesn't like how undeserving grace really is. And he's having a hard time accepting a God who, in a sense, throws away grace to anyone who asks. And Jonah, like Israel, does not like to admit how undeserving he was to receive grace. Because they were God's chosen people, but the reason God chose them was to really be an emissary, to be a light, to evangelize the lost world, to give God's message of grace, an undeserved gift to all their enemy. But so often Israel didn't do that. Jonah had it all wrong. You see, God loves Israel, not because Israel is so great. God loves Israel because God is a God of grace. And the whole point of this series has been to show us the limitless quality of God's grace. The word limit means this, a point or level beyond which something does not or may not extend or pass. It means a restrictions, which means there is only so far we can go. If you're driving a car and there's a cliff, <laughs> there's only so far you can go before you fall off the cliff. There's a limit to the road. Limitless means there is no limit, right? There is no end. You see, God's grace, as we've tried to unpack in this series, has no boundaries, does it? No, it doesn't. God's grace has no boundaries, has no limits. God's grace is greater than we can imagine because there is no stopping what grace wants to produce. You see, Jonah had limits to his own grace. In the same fashion, our grace has limits. Grace was something Jonah was quick to ask for, but not something he was quick to dispense. Verse number three, we continue. Therefore now, Lord, it's just, it's, it's so funny. Now we can go off on Jonah, and that's not the point of this book. It's really not. Look what he's saying. Therefore, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, I'm begging you, Lord, just take my life. <laughs> Why does he want his life taken? God had just given him an amazing gift, a second chance. I mean, what an amazing story he can tell his, his children, his grandchildren for future generations. Hey, I was inside of a whale. And I lived to tell about it. But now he's saying, God, just take my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. Verse 4, then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? Um, why are you so angry, Jonah? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city 
and there made him a booth. So he, he's basically just sitting and watching the demise of this city. And he sat under it, under the shadow, till he might see what will become of this city. So he's, he's just waiting. Maybe God's just going to rain fire upon this city. It's going to be a cool spectacle. Verse 6, And the Lord God, here's another preparation of God, God prepared a gourd, a plant, and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, and who wouldn't? Jonah was thankful. Now during this time, God had sent uh, an east wind. This is known as a, a Sirocco. And these hot, zero-humidity winds blew out of the desert. They can easily raise the temperature 15 to 20 degrees in a matter of minutes. So think about it in, in relation to us sometimes. You know, we get that storm brewing in, and all of a sudden the, the temperature drops like 20 degrees. But imagine you're in the desert. It's already hot, and all of a sudden, within a couple, couple minutes, there's no wind, no humidity, and all of a sudden this wind comes in, and it makes it 20 degrees, 30 degrees hotter. <laughs> That's not good. So God, to try to help Jonah out, he gives him a plant, some shade. And this plant, again, represented God's grace to Jonah. Let's continue on. Verse 7, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and smote the gourd that it withered. So the worm just started eating it up. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. This is that east wind that we were talking about. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And Jonah said to God, or sorry, God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? So you're angry about the gourd? You're angry about the plant? And he said, I do well to be angry. Of course, God, I have a right to be angry. Even unto death, I have a right to be angry. And then look at verse number 10 and 11. And this is it. This is the message here in the next few minutes. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. So you're feeling sorry for this gourd, this plant, that you did nothing to produce. You didn't plant, prepare, and labor, and water. I gave the gourd, and I took the gourd away, and you're all feeling sorry for the gourd. Verse 11, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, 120,000 people, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? You see, here's the, here's the very important principle truth this morning. Receiving grace is often easier than dispensing grace. The relentless power of grace is not just given to you. It's given to all who don't deserve it. And this conflict of grace has been an issue for Christians, for churches, in every generation. And we need to understand that the message of grace is not just something that we get to partake of. The message of grace is a local message and a global message. Here's what I mean. It must extend beyond our family, beyond our friend, beyond our church, beyond our own borders. You know, I desire the Eagle Drive Baptist Church be a church where the gospel is central, where grace is relevant. 
I want the gospel of, uh, of grace to be center stage in our church. And what I mean by that is we have to realize that we don't deserve God's grace. And in turn, we must impart God's grace upon the lost and dying world, even to other Christians that don't deserve it. You know, I gave an illustration on Wednesday night in our Ephesians study. Imagine there is a picture frame around our church. And there's a sign above it that says, come, see what God is like. So imagine that. There's a giant picture frame outside around our church and around the people. And it says, the description, come see what God is like. What is the world going to see God like in the church? Are they going to see that this church is a church that dispenses grace, that gives it willingly to people that don't deserve it? Or are they going to see that church? They can't stand people. They want to see them get what they deserve. So what picture does the world have of God? Do they have a true picture or they have the picture that we have created? Let me ask this question. This is where it gets challenging this morning. Who are the Ninevites in your own life? Who are the people that have done you wrong? Who are the people that deserve judgment? that deserve the wrath of God. Now, I'm not asking you to go out of your way. And what I mean by that is, let's say someone in Florida has wronged you. I'm not asking you to drive there and I'm going to deliver grace to this person so they can see how gracious I am. That's not what I'm asking. What I am asking is, if the situation presents itself, are we trying to run like Jonah? Are we trying to be an emissary? a dispenser, a conduit of God's grace. But pastor, they don't deserve it, I know. And I was even thinking about that this morning and even last night. I'm not saying, let's, hey, let's, you just have to invite them over to your house and you know, put up, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but if the situation arises, instead of being unkind to them, giving them the cold shoulder, turning your face and going the other direction, Give them kindness. And they might, they might even think, or they might even say something like, why are you being so kind to me? I know I don't deserve it. I've been very unkind to you. And really, this is a great opportunity to share the message of grace, the message of the gospel. And honestly, it would be okay to speak the truth in love to them. Here's what I mean. It would be okay to say, if something like this were to happen and someone were to ask you, why are you doing this? You know, here's the truth. You don't deserve grace. You know what you deserve? You deserve this and this and this and this. But God has gotten a hold of my heart and my life. And I've realized that I don't deserve grace either. And because I don't deserve it, I know you don't deserve it, but if I want to be like Christ and the best example of I can of him, then I have to dispense grace, even to those that are undeserving. The Bible does say in Ephesians to speak the truth in love. If we speak it in love, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But who are the Ninevites in your life? When the situation presents itself, we must be willing to extend grace even when they don't deserve it. Whose calamity are you secretly celebrating? Who are you hoping gets their just deserve, just falls down flat on their face? Who are you sitting back watching for their demise? 
Again, God very well may give them that. And I've been guilty of this over the past many years of my life, and God has convicted me time and time again. Chris, it's, it's not about that. I've given you a gift that you don't deserve, and I've given it to you so you can give it to someone else. That's grace, okay? <laughs> and I've given it to you to give to someone else. Go ahead. To give to someone else. To give to someone else. You can just keep asking if you want, but that's, that's what it comes down to. It's about passing on the message of grace, realizing that God has given us something that we don't deserve. I don't deserve this, so I want to take it and give it to someone else. Isn't that a great picture of Jesus Christ? It is. But how many of us are sitting back? Hi, right, God, give it to him. I'm waiting. I don't have my phone with me, but I got my phone ready. Take a picture of this. I'll even take a selfie with it. How many of us act just like Jonah? You know, let's look in the large scale. Who are those people in our lives that we think don't deserve it? Is it rich people? Is it poor people? White people, black people, skinny people, fat people? In between people? Whoever? The list can go on. Muslims? I mean, who, who are the people in our life that don't deserve it, but that's exactly who needs the grace of God? And this book ends in a most puzzling way. It ends in verses 10 and 11 with God speaking to Jonah. Jonah's already done. And it's very easy to start thinking, man, I wonder if Jonah got it. Jonah's just a self-righteous individual. I mean, what, what is his problem? What is his deal? But here, here's the truth that we have to understand. This book is not given to us to just go off on Jonah about how bad he is. And I wonder if he got it. He very well, well may have gotten it. He might not have gotten it. But that, that's beside the point. This book is given to us almost as a mirror to look into it to see, did we get it? Not did Jonah get it, but did we get it? Did we get what God was trying to do? Again, there are a lot of questions that rise about it. And the greatest news is that God's grace pursues Ninevites and it pursues us today. Not simply to reveal the depth of our sin, but the depth of his love as well. And this revelation is not simply to revel in it, but to fill us up so God can pour us out in reaching the lost around us. Grace has come for us, and it came in the person of Jesus Christ, who is full of grace, who has grace upon grace, as it says in John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. And in some instance, we are all Jonah's. So incredibly lost and stubborn and stuck in our religious, narrow-minded, pharisaical ways. But we have to also realize that there's a greater Jonah that's come. Thrown overboard in the ocean of God's wrath, where God did not relent the disaster that was come to him. Then utter darkness for three days in the belly of death. Then he rose victorious to life. Not just for me, but for all the world. Here's what it boils down to this morning. 
as I said, many of us can relate to Jonah. Many of us can say, you know what, I am Jonah. And what we must do is replace the image of ourself in the mirror with the image of Jesus Christ. It's like that old, old, old bracelets. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do to my enemy? What would Jesus do to the people that don't deserve grace? I can tell you exactly what he would do. He would extend it to him. As I said earlier, grace is predictably unpredictable. And the two sides of grace is this. It is something to be received and something to be extended. Grace is not just given so we can bask in God's grace. Oh, I'm thankful for God's grace. He's given a gift to give it to someone else, to give it to someone else, to give it to someone else. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to look at Jonah and see your own sin. And then look to Jesus who paid the price for your sin. And really, I don't, we don't have to say it out loud, but really when we think about it, many of us are Jonah. Selfish, self-righteous, thinking we're holier than other people, thinking we're better than other people, thinking we deserve it so much more than someone else. We don't deserve anything. We deserve the wrath of God. But I'm not as bad as the Assyrians. I'm not as bad as this person. <laughs> You're far worse than you'd like to admit. But God's grace is far better. Grace is something to be received. and something to be extended. Who are the Ninevites in your life? Who are the people you're sitting back hoping get what they deserve? Instead, why don't we be emissaries of grace? Why don't we be that picture frame and people see, wow, that church is truly grace-filled. They're dispensing the message of grace to everyone that doesn't deserve it. To me, that is a mark of a true disciple. You can do that, or you can continue in doing what you want to do and give out wrath, give out justice. And I guarantee what's going to happen is you're not going to be joyful. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be upset. You're going to be angered. You're going to be agitated. You're going to be frustrated, just like Jonah was. But when you start dispensing grace, you're going to realize what it means to thrive. You're going to realize that you were made for more than yourself. You were made to share God's glory, to share his message of grace to a lost and dying world.